All right, guys, hey, if you want to make your way back to your seats, that would be great. Uh, get back to your seats over there. So fun to be with you. Hey, uh, you're going to need your Bibles this morning, so grab your Bibles, make your way over to Romans. We're back in Romans today. Uh, we're going to be in Romans chapter 8, so you'll have the uh, four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Then you have the book of Acts, and then you'll find the book of Romans. That's where we're going to be. Uh, if you did not bring your Bible, I'd love for you to pull out your phone and go to connect to the number two riverside.com. You can scroll to the bottom and click on Bible app and follow right along with us this morning. It's going to be important to do, especially as we jump back into uh, Romans. And so before we do that, um, I want to let you know we have a little video announcement from a special guest that will be with us next week. So watch this. Hey Riverside, uh, my name is Scott Hare. For those of you who don't know me, for those of you that do, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing you guys February 16th next Sunday at both services. Uh, John and the team have invited me to come and speak and I'm really looking forward to it and I really look forward to seeing everybody. Everybody. Hey, you know that's a holiday weekend, right? It's a what? It's a holiday weekend. No one's going to church that weekend. <laughs> no one's going... <laughs> So when I invited him to come, I didn't even know it was a holiday. Who, who takes off for President's Day? It's not even a real holiday. I mean, come on, y'all. But hey, Scott will be here with us next week. I know that you're going to want to be here. He's, uh, let me be honest, he's been texting and bugging me for the last couple of weeks. He's so excited. I mean, he was really excited to be back next week. And so I'm really grateful for, to him. And let me be honest, I'm straight up punting because next week we're talking about predestination. I'm like, here you go, Scott. There you go. So uh, that is next week. So it's going to be a lot of fun for him to, to wrestle with that for this week. And so we've been taking a whole year to walk through uh, the, the book of Romans. Um, Romans is, of course, just a little snapshot of course written by Paul, who's considered some of the greatest mind, that one of the greatest minds that the world has ever, ever known. In fact, Harvard Law School, when it got started, studied as part of their curriculum, the book of Romans, not for their theological understanding, but for the brilliance of Paul laying out this argument and this thought progress as Paul is making his pleading for people to accept the gospel of Jesus. And it's just utterly beautiful that law schools actually studied Paul's argument. And so in as deep and as rich as the book of Romans is, it's actually one of the clearest places that we get a good look at what the gospel is. It's the, one of the clearest places where Jesus' life and death takes on actually flesh and bones. And so today, we're going to be sp uh, finishing up chapter 8. We did three weeks uh, way, 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 way back, like in, before, like in November, before our Christmas series. And today, we're going to be finishing it up. Romans, uh, most scholars will say, the greatest book ever written in all of the world is the book of the Bible. And in the Bible, the greatest letter in all of the Bible is Romans. And the greatest chapter in all of Romans is chapter 8. And we are going to be finishing that up this morning. So let's pray together as we open up God's Word. God, we believe that we can hear your voice, that it's normal for us, God, to be able to respond to the, your voice and your leading in our life. And so as we open up your scripture, God, may your words uh, become loud. May we focus on what you're doing this morning. May they illuminate your heart and illuminate our lives. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, Romans 8, we're going to be starting in verse 31. Here it goes. It says this, what then shall we say in response to all of these things. Well, 
That's a great question. As you are reading this, you should look at it and say, well, what things is Paul actually going to be, what's he actually talking about? And so if you were not here way back in November or you're newer to the community, good news. Paul is going to give us a little refresher of everything that he's talked about up until this point. Um, uh, He is not going to presenting any new information. All he's doing is repeating things he's already said. And what is that called? That's called preaching. And so Paul is going to get up on his... uh, soapbox, and he's going to lay out everything that he's already said up until this point. And so if you've missed it, you're going to get a good recap of all of the book of Romans up until this point. And so he's going to do that by, by laying out a series of four rhetorical questions. Now, a rhetorical question is not actually a question, is it? They're more of a statement. That was a good one. There's more of a statement. It's like, uh, Maggie, did I tell you, uh, didn't I tell you to clean your room today? Like, I'm not really asking her a question. What I'm actually making is a statement. Maggie, like the spanking train is coming and you're the next stop. Boop, boop. Come on, like, you better clean that room up pretty dang quick, girl. So get on it. And so that's what Paul's going to do. He's going to lay out four rhetorical questions for us, but I need you to think of them as statements or declarations that he is going to be making. And so we're going to call those four mini sermons. Now, I promise they're going to be short and sweet, but we're going to make those, break those down and make four mini sermons off of Paul's four questions that he's going to lay out. So question number one that we're going to look at. If God, this is the backside of verse 31, if God is for us, who can be against us? You are designed and created to look at this and say, nobody. I mean, if God is for me, who could ever be against me? Or you could say it this way, what in the world would you have anything ever to be afraid of? Because God is on your side. Because God is for you. Now, do you know what the most repeated phrase kind of in all of scripture is? Do not be afraid. Over and over and over. Why does it say that? Because God is for you. Joshua, be strong and be courageous because God is for you. He's on your side. The problem is, the reality is, many of us know that although that is true, if God is for us, there are lots of things that are coming against us, right? Our circumstances are against against us. Your kids are against you. Maybe your spouse at times feels like they are against you. Maybe it's your boss. Maybe it's your health. Let alone like the voice of the enemy comes against you all of the time. So how does Paul say that if God is for us, who can be against us? Does he really not know that all these things are set up against me right now? No, that's not what he's saying. Remember, these are declarations. These are statements that he's making. And what Paul wants you to see this morning, if God is for you, God has no rival. He has no equal. The battle has already been won because he is utterly for you. He can't help do anything other than your best for him. And that's what he's saying this morning. Now, We need to be careful about this because there's a little pause. There's a little bit of a nuance in this because we love it. We're like, oh, God is for me. It feels so good. I love me some me. I love me. I mean, God's for me. I mean, I'm, I mean, and we have to be really, really careful here because we can tend to think that we see that something like this, that God is for me, we begin to think it's all about me. Now, the distinction here that what Paul is actually showing is this truth is that yes, God is for you, but it's not about you. 
that God is 100% without a doubt for you. It is just not about you. Romans 5.8 says this, God demonstrated his love for you, that he loved you so much that he died for you. But it's just not about, it's just not about you. Because the truth is, when your circumstances get on and they start rolling against you, if you begin to think it is about you, you know what begins to happen? What we sang this morning gets a little wonky and gets a little funky because you start to question the goodness of God because everything is, feels like everything is set up against you. And what, what Paul is arguing this morning, what Paul is saying to us this morning is, yes, 100%, God is for you. It's just not about you. It's for you, for him. Now, yesterday, uh, I got to do uh, something really tender. Um, there is a uh, friend in the community whose dad passed away. And uh, listen to the baby. Mama, it is a blessing that there are signs of life in this community. I love when we get to have kids in, the, in here. And so I'm so grateful. It's the sound of God's blessing and favor on our community when we have kids like that. It's so beautiful. I'm always reminded of that. And so yesterday I got to do a funeral for a friend in the community. His dad died unexpectedly. And one of my things that kind of I do at the funerals, I just read lots and lots of scripture. It's like the thing that I think can actually kind of steady us and soothe us. And one of the things that I read over and over and over again at every funeral is Psalms 23. And it says this, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides quiet waters. He refreshes my soul and he guides me. And you're like, dude, I don't know, John. It sure sounds like it's all about you until you get to the last little few lines of that. For his name's sake. Everything that God has for you is for him, for his glory. And friends, that is really good news. It's really good news that we are not at the center of the equation because if we are at the center of the equation, everything in our life has to line up just perfectly and be pretty and neat and organized and like right as we thought it would go or else we're gonna be frustrated. And God is saying, take you right out of the middle of the equation. God is for you. It is just not about you. Verse 32 says this. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. And Paul is choosing his words here very, very carefully. He wants you to see the anguish that a father would have, that he literally moved all of heaven and earth so that you and I could be reconciled, to be brought back into right relationship with Christ. Do you know how you can tell how much something is worth? Throw it up on eBay. <laughs> um, my, my Rambo VHS tapes, oh, I love them. They're so valuable to me. You know what they're going to fetch on eBay? Probably a couple of dollars, but they're so valuable. But it doesn't really matter. The value of something is determined by what somebody is willing to pay for it. And you know what the scripture says about you? The Bible tells us that you were bought with the highest price. That God did not spare his own son, but he gave him up for you, for us. That you were bought with the highest price. That God gave the best to you. He didn't withhold, but freely laid down his life on, all, on our behalf. And so when we go to Israel, um, 
maybe you'll join us at one time or another. Uh, when we go to Israel, we go to a place um, just right outside of the city, and it's the Garden of Gethsemane. And it's an olive press. It's the place of crushing. It's the place where Jesus went right before um, the cross. And he goes into the garden where there's a Gethsemane. And he says, God, if there is any other way, like if there's any other way, if all roads lead to you, God, or this, this, this seems like a waste of my blood, if every path ultimately leads to God. Or, God, if it's just about good people becoming better people, God, I can teach that. Like, there, there's, th give me more time, I can do it. But, if the price for sinful humanity to be reconciled back to a holy God is the price of my life, I will not spare, he who did not spare his only son, but gave him up for us freely. Freely. The enemy loves to whisper into our ears, loves to whisper into our ears fear and anxiety and all of those things. And God says he did not spare but gave his utter best for us. That's what Christ does. He did not spare him but gave us his best. Question two says this. How will he not also, along with him, give us all things? And if Paul is saying this, if God didn't withhold his best from you, if he paid the highest price for you, what makes you think he will not give you all things? It's so ridiculous. It, it, it kind of goes like this. If, if I had a million dollars, and you came to me, first of all, that's ridiculous. But if you, if you came to me and you said, John, can I have a million dollars? And I looked at you like, no, but I'll give you two. Like, I'm all about you. I love you. I'm so excited with who you are. I'm going to give you more than you asked for just because I love you so much. Give you two million dollars. The next week, you're like, my, my breath is a little stinky this morning. You know what? I'm going to go ask John for a tic-tac. No, you know what? I know John. He's real stingy with his stuff. He's not a very generous person. He's not kind in his nature. That's what Paul is saying to us. Like, are you kidding me? <laughs> are you kidding me? He's given you all things. He's given you the best. He's given you more than a million dollars. He's given you his very son. Are you meaning to tell me that God surely won't help you a little bit with your marriage? Will God not really come through in helping you raise two rascally girls? Are you telling me that God will not give you wisdom about what, where you're headed in life and what you're supposed to do in your career or the purpose of where you're... He's given you all things. What makes you think he won't give you a tic-tac? Don't be utterly ridiculous. Question number three for us this morning says this, verse 33, who can bring a charge against you whom God has chosen? So here's the truth. If I am, if the Lord calls me home or when my time is up here at Riverside, if I'm known for just one thing around this community, it's the answer to this question. Who will bring any charges against those whom God has chosen? Therefore, right now, there's no 
condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. If that's the thing that you get, I'm going to pat myself on the back and say, well done. That if you belong to Christ Jesus, if you are in Christ, when Christ now looks at you, you are not just forgiven, but you are declared holy and blameless in his sight. Therefore, there is no condemnation because you have been swallowed up up in Christ. The charges against you have been paid in full in advance. And so when the accusations come against you, what Paul is begging for you to say is, who cares? What does it matter? Your value is not a group decision. Your value is based off one person and one person alone. And then Paul begins to shift the attention and go to the next slide. He says this, it is God who justifies. And notice that Paul doesn't say, you have been justified. And why does he say that? Because if not, we tend to make it kind of a a whole whole lot about us. Paul says, no, no, no. God is the one who declares you righteous and blameless in his sight. Not because of anything you have achieved, but simply because you have been loved. Because here's my struggle. I'll say things like, man, I can't believe I did that again. (laughs) I promised that was the last time. Man, those thoughts, I can't believe I'm thinking those things about that again. People are going to find you out, John. I'm going to be found out that there are many that are more spiritual, better leaders, better equipped, because I'm not ever really going to measure up. And the problem with that is, you know what the problem with that is? That's a whole lot of me. That's a whole lot of me in the equation. And Paul says, no, it is God who justifies, not me. The frustration, the pain, and the problem we have is we put us at the center of the equation. And although many things are true about me, the cross is the declaration that all of those things have been paid for in advance up front. And that, listen, if you are in Christ, Christ has swallowed you up so that it is no longer you who lives, but Christ who lives inside of you. And so now when God sees you, you have been swallowed up by Christ. And hear this part, this is important. It is impossible for God to be displeased with you. He cannot condemn you. He cannot be dissatisfied with you because you have been placed and swallowed up in Christ and and God cannot be dissatisfied with his own son. He's always pleased with Jesus. And if your life is placed in him, it is no longer you who lives, but Christ lives in you. Therefore, right now, there's no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. That means that your sin does not define you. That your mistakes do not define you. Catch this. Your political party does not define you. Your dark secrets don't define you. Your regrets don't define you. Your achievements, your bank account, your family does not define you. That Christ and Christ alone gets the final say in your life. Paul goes on and he says, well then who then is to condemn? 
And condemnation or to be condemned is actually, we've talked about this, this building term. And to condemn something means unfit for use. And the enemy loves to whisper that into your ear, into my ear. You know what the problem with you is? You. You are the problem with you. God is done with you. You are unfit for you. And here's what I, here's what I think Paul is saying. Is you don't get to determine the value on your life. Only Christ does. You'd find out the value of something by what somebody is willing to pay for it. And you have been bought and paid for at the highest price. That means that you have great value to God. That you stand before him righteous, pure, and blameless in his sight. And I've been thinking about this. And help me out because I'm not sure this is right. But I think it is. I'm not sure my opinion even really matters. Because if this life, I, because the truth is I'm not created for myself. I'm created for him. And if I'm created for him and for his purpose, doesn't he get to declare what my value is? So I'm not even sure my opinion really matters. And that's what Paul is saying. It is God who justifies. There is no one who condemns us. And when the fiery darts of the whispers of the enemy come at you, your only response is there's no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. He says this, no one, Christ Jesus who died, more than that, was raised to life, is at the right hand of God, listen, and is interceding for us. That means, brothers and sisters, right now, you have a father, you have at the right hand of the father, he's cheering you on. At any given moment, at any given time, Jesus is cheering you on. He's interceding. He's pleading to the Father on your behalf at any given moment. And then Paul shifts his attention to this fourth question, and it says this. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And remember, these are rhetorical questions. And Paul is going to lay out this answer. He wants you to know that God never leaves. God never departs. Verse 35, next slide. It says this. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or swords? He wants us to know that for the life of the believer, those are still real options for us. Like, just because you said yes to Jesus doesn't mean it's cotton candy and Cadillacs from this point on. These things are real. We read those things as like, oh, Paul must have been kind of going off. But for the first century, Roman, for the first century Jews in Rome, that, that, that's like a Tuesday. That's a real reality. The Barna Group... Uh, who does some of the best research on kind of the global church, um, uh, put out research this last year that I was reading that said, do you know on any given year in the global, um, across the world, there's about 100,000 Christians that die every single year for their faith. And that was no different from the church in Rome. Like people were saying, God, if like all of my circumstances are coming against me, if this is my reality, if I'm facing trouble or hardship or persecution or I'm starving or if I have nothing or if I'm in danger or if I'm about to die, have you forgotten me? If my eye gets taken off of you, are you going to take your eye off of me? And Paul goes to something powerful right here. This is found in Psalms 44. It says this. 
Next, next slide. As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered to be sheep to the slaughter. And so anytime, friends, as you are reading a New Testament author and they quote an Old Testament passage, it's always good to go back and to read the context of what's happening. So what is happening here is in the rabbinical world called a remez. And a remez would be as if I said part of a sentence, I wouldn't need to say the whole sentence because you would already know what I'm thinking, right? Something like this, happy birthday, yeah, you know it. I don't have to finish it, right? That's what's happening. If I said, ding, 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 you would say, if you're under 40, you would say, stop. And if you were over 40, you would say, under pressure, right? So I wouldn't need to finish the sentence. You know the context of what's happening. And that's what Paul is doing right here. He's saying, listen, for your sake, we're facing death all day long. Are we considered sheep to be slaughtered? The context that Paul is writing here, Israel is being crushed and their circumstances are against them and they're crying out to God, have you left me? Is your eye off of me? Have I done something wrong? And Paul, verse 37, says this. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Now, a couple of things for us to consider. What does it mean for us to be more than a conqueror? A conqueror, um, let's say that you are a member in an army and you're general and your, your guys go to war. And you guys win the war. Well, obviously, some of the spoils of battle belong to you because you're, you're in the army and the general is your general. And so some of that is you, that belongs to you. And when the war is over, you go home back to your old house. But to be more than a conqueror is more than that. This time, the general's your dad. And when you go to war and you, the war is won, you don't go home to your old house the battle has actually created a new reality that you get to live in. And what Paul is saying is that new reality is, is that there's a new kingdom that has broken out because you have been adopted, grafted in by God himself. And now when the war is over, you get to go home to dad's house and this new reality for us. And then Paul goes on and he says, listen to this. For I am convinced that neither death nor life. Angels or demons, present things or things to come, any power that I face, how good my circumstances are, or if I make my bed in hell. Nothing is anything in all of creation can separate us from the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus our Lord. I mean, if that doesn't want to make you get out of your chair and just rip something up and your head just explode, guys, <laughs> we have not let this message get down in here enough. Listen to the reality of what Paul is saying. No, in all these things, what things? All the things, all the circumstances in life that are set against you, he says, no, I am convinced that neither death, life, Angels, demons, present, future, anything, height, depth, angels, all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. Absolutely nothing. 
Romans chapter eight ends with this central question for us to consider. What then shall we say about these things? I mean, God, are you really gonna love this? Like if you really knew me and you knew my heart and you know the things I thought, I mean, I just don't see a way. And what Paul is begging us to do this morning is no, no, no. In all things, God is for you. Nothing, absolutely nothing can separate you from the love of God. My question for you this morning is, just who do you think you are? I mean, really, to think that there is a God that has not given you all things, that there is a God that is for you, that there is nothing in heaven or in hell that could ever drive a wedge between the love that he has for you. His love is so big, so unstoppable, so overwhelming, so overtaking that you are drowning in a sea of grace and you don't even know it. There's no thing that you can do. You're not that smart. You're not that powerful. You're not big enough. You're not stronger enough. You could not muster up enough sin from this day forward to the day you die, even if you wanted to, to make God stop loving you. You're not smart enough. You can't outrun him. You can't hide. You can't outthink him. You can't outmess up your family. You can't outmess up your relationships. You can't outmess up your kids. You can't outmess up your marriage. You can't outmess up your job. You can't outmess up yourself and your very life. There is nothing that literally could separate you from God's relentless pursuit for you. There is no wedge between you and the Lord. There is nothing that can separate you from the love of God. So then, what shall we say about these things? That's Paul's question for us this morning. And his answer is, no, no, no. His love is infinite. It's never ending. It's relentless. And it's been poured out every ounce of it for you. And if God, hear this, if God is for you, what do you have to fear? If God is for you, who could ever be against you? This morning, sometimes it's hard to, to find the words it's hard to know how to respond. And so this morning, we're gonna pray in a different way. So I'm gonna invite you to stand and we're gonna sing a declaration, sing a prayer back to God this morning about that one question. What shall we say about these things? And all my life you have been faithful Good night.
more time we sing Your goodness is running after It's running after me Yes it is Your goodness is running after It's running after me With my life laid down I surrender now I give you is running after it's running after me God you've proved it God you have proved it God may we be people that stop and receive it that your goodness has followed us all the days of our lives God that no valley no hill no darkness no light no thing created in all the earth could stop you from loving us May we be people that stop running. People that just let you, let us love you back. God, we love you. We're grateful for our time together this morning.